0: audio on this episode of bounce from the roadhouse it's a special edition with richie richards well known in the community in the black hills public figure who's going to share an amazing journey with you a vulnerable journey one that is hard to share but one that needs to be heard before we get started richie wants you to know if you're struggling with any type of addiction when it comes to drugs or alcohol. You can reach out to him. His TikTok is Richie Richards 23 And also on Facebook, just find Richard Richards. It's the Roadhouse in Studio 4B with special guest Richie Richards. Richie is just a fan of the show, but he came in today and wants to share a story that's hard to share, a story that also needs to be heard, a story that also is his journey and he's currently in it and it's a type of journey that many can relate to and the story of his journey could actually help change a life if you're listening today and you struggle with addiction please listen
1: Mm, definitely
0: we want to hear about your journey
1: well, I've been, uh, you know, I've been, well, I'm 47 years old, first of all, and so I've been an alcoholic, and it's hard to admit that and really say it, and you can admit it and say it, but to really believe it and and accept it, the fact that you are an alcoholic, and I've been an alcoholic for most of my life, starting from about the age 17 forward, you know what I mean, so I've been on and off with Uh, different stages of alcoholism, whether it's beer, whether it's, you know, straight vodka all the time, it's just like a whole, you know, different world once you become and accept the fact that you're an alcoholic and and, and really believe that in your soul and your spirit and in your personality. And so once I was able to admit to that, which was about a couple of months ago, maybe about seven, eight weeks ago now, Um, it really changed the way I thought and saw life you know what I mean I started to value and devalue people in my life in a way that um, made me want to go into treatment and so over the last 11 months my alcoholism led into a an addiction a new addiction uh, to meth methamphetamine Mm. and so um, I was with a person who had made methamphetamine very accessible to me and uh, it was there in my presence every single day and so it wasn't hard to fall into that. You know, it started out with a, a, a line or so, be became smoking, and she was an intravenous user. Uh, she she shot it up, mm-hmm. and so, you know, one night after a, a, a few drinks at the uh, local tavern, I'd come home and she was using and, and doing it intravenously, and so I volunteered myself to do that. I asked if she could do that, and, and so once I got that first taste of that that mm-hmm. going through the veins. It was over. It was over. Everything wow. went downhill from there, you know. And at the time, I was working for the president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe as their public relations communications yeah. person, mm-hmm. and so it just slowly, slowly started to decline. And so this was back in January, February of last year. My position with the tribe ended in February, mm-hmm. and it just kind of went from there. I think I lost my car in April, my home in April or May, and so it just kind of slowly declined, wow. and. I mean, quickly, quickly, (laughs) very quickly,
2: slow, but really kind of fast in a way that it's like what your life was a year ago, all of a sudden, April, May. Was done in shambles mm. and
1: it's like, oh no, wait, hold on. Somebody needs to grab a hold of this and stop it. Yes, yes, and then summer came and then so that just started a whole nother phase of of parting and uh you yeah. know, I just tried to live a fast life. I think I called it Hot Boy Summer at one point, yeah. which uh really yeah. wasn't a hot boy summer, it was really a, 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 a train wreck, you know, and, and it was a mess. Yep. And so I got through the summer. Um, And then in September, I met my significant other, Janie, and so she really helped me to kind of recognize and see not only the value in myself, but to Mm -hmm. devalue the addiction and the alcoholism that I've been dealing with. And so through September, October, November, I started to put together the idea and this concept and this plan of going into treatment. And so what does that look like? I and mean, what does treatment look like for yeah. every individual? And you have different programs. You have you know, the uh, spiritual, uh, religious mm-hmm. means of doing it. You also have the 12-step programs. You have all these different methods, right? And so what I wanted to do was kind of, uh, I wanted to get out of Rapid City. I wanted to get out of South Dakota because things were just so accessible here. The dope was accessible, the alcohol was accessible, yeah. and all of my friends and family that carried that with them was accessible. Yes. Yeah. So a few months ago, maybe about a half year ago, I posted a post on Facebook talking about how if you, any of my Facebook friends, had seen me on the side of the road and you seen me sitting there drunk or, or or using or high, you know, I wanted I put a request out for anybody to please pick me up, stand me up, put me in your car and take me to a safe place, you know, to really have that respect for me as I have respect for others. So I wanted somebody to to just kind of recognize that I was in you know, crisis mode, that I was mm-hmm. not in a good place, that I was not doing well. And, and that I was like the white flag. I, that like, was the flag. Come and get me, this ain't going. Please go help me yep. somebody, you know? And, and I think I ended it with something like, you know, straighten out my crown in the process, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so that was important to me to reach out. And so those little tidbits of things that I post and the funny stuff and all of this stuff was really a cry for help, mm. you yep. know? And so by the time September came around, you know, I was done. I was ready to really quit, and I think that I wanted somebody like Janie in my life. Um, God bless her to come into me and really straighten me out, grab me by my my collar, and, and really kind of you know pick me up and just say, "Hey, brother, we you know I got you." I That's want, a good I friend.
2: You. Yes, definitely. And so. Yeah, and you need somebody like that to grab you and the the and to tell you you're you're worth it. Yes, you are worth it. Yes, not don't do it for me. Don't do it for you. Are worth it. Yes, you know.
1: And uh, you know, it's, whenever this, whenever I did meet her, we we had uh, had our, you know, getting getting to know each other period. You know, so there was some times when the, and I called my addictive self, my high self, my using self, the demon not because it was an evil thing or not because it was a bad thing. I just didn't recognize that person that I was. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to disassociate myself from the demon and Mm -hmm. put him or him or them over there and keep the little Richie over here. You know what I mean? And so the demon was exposed to Janie a few times, by which it wasn't the most pleasant experience for her or myself.
0: But you know what? She's still here.
1: She is right here. She cares about you. Love it. Love her. Yeah, definitely. So I really appreciate her in my life. But as far as the getting into treatment now, um, in November I had put together a team and I called them my I guess I called them my team <laughs> um, and what I did was I went on Facebook and I picked seven or eight of my very closest strongest recovery friends uh, friends that are, have been sober for a number of years mm-hmm. friends that run programs and so I wanted to put together this team that was outside of my personal inner circle to really help and, and, and guide me along and help me to find a place to get treatment and get some help mm-hmm. and so um, through that um, six, maybe about a five or six week period of dealing with uh, my addiction along with my relationship with Janie. And now I put together this team outside of my circle. It's kind of like this uh, this kind of protective yeah. wall. Yeah. And so through that, I was able to let them see. And I'll tell you about this experience that I had in putting this team together. Because on the very first night of dealing with them and, and, and inviting them to, to come into this addictive self, what i did was i put together a live video chat feed on facebook wow. and i let them see me drinking i let them see me using i let them see the needle i let them see the the meth pipe i let them mm-hmm. see everything because i really wanted to show a raw candid view of what addiction looks like you know mm-hmm. and so as you know i call myself king richie you know i really do because i believe That helps my ego, helps my presence, it helps my soul. And so I I really wanted to show them how King Richie had fell and how King Richie and what he's doing these days. And so I exposed them. I had no shirt on. My hair was, I mean, I have long, beautiful hair, if you can't tell. (laughs) And so so I um, wanted to show them exactly what had happened and exactly how easy and quickly you can fall, you know, when it comes to addiction, especially with meth and hard drugs, you know. And so I exposed them to a really candid version of myself and so I used in front of them I drank in front of them I took the uh, little 99 cent shooters of vodka in front of them and I showed them a loaded needle and so <laughs> a couple of my friends were really taken back by it they were really one of them started crying another looked away another one walked off the camera and so yep. it was just a really raw version of myself and so that helped that really helped because I wanted them to see exactly where I was. And where I didn't want to be anymore. Wow. Do you think that it helped you seeing yourself that way as well? Like it did
0: it put told. it more into perspective so that you can see how far King Richie did fall?
1: I did. Yeah. It did because you know I'd never leave the house without without my hair fixed, without mm-hmm. my teeth brush, without you know everything. And so when I saw myself in front of others on, the, uh, on my laptop and see myself with the hair out. My hair was messy. My face was greasy. My eyeballs were, I mean my, excuse me, my pupils were the size of a nickel. I mean, it was just black and the size of a nickel. And I wanted to see that for myself as well. Mm-hmm. And so when you say, did it help me? Oh, most definitely, Yeah, most definitely.
0: Put it in perspective. Definitely yeah. put
1: it into perspective.
2: That's wild when you, when you see not your best self you know you see yourself in your weakest moment yeah. mm-hmm. and and be able to review that is is probably i mean sports do it all the time mm-hmm. you know they they go over film and stuff like that yes. and essentially that's kind of what you did to yourself you know you broke it
1: down were like that's not my best look yeah the yes. most vulnerable be self out there the most vulnerable self and and also you know at the time everything that i owned fit inside of a backpack mm-hmm you know, a couple of changes of clothes, a toothbrush, some tools and utensils that I needed to use, you know? And so that was the the gist of everything that I owned was in a backpack. And so that was definitely a vulnerable yeah. experience.
0: I can't believe how far you've come and how quickly. Thank you, Amy. I'm so proud of you and I just feel you in my heart so strongly right now.
1: Thank you, and I really appreciate this uh, invitation. So yes. thank you, Brandon Can also. Can you yeah.
0: tell us a little bit about your treatment?
1: Yes. And so when I when I decided to go to treatment, it was at the end of November and I was looking for a place outside of Rapid City, outside of South Dakota. And I came across a lot of uh, roadblocks, a lot of speed bumps and a lot of obstacles that I need to overcome in order to get to a place that I felt safe in. So the tribal programs. Were able to help tribal members that wanted to be in programs on the reservations, and I didn't want to be on a reservation for the sake of you know too many people knew me there. I would have too much exposure to family members and and other uh, persons who would make leaving there very easy, you know. And so that wasn't an option for me. Uh, the programs in Rapid City awesome programs but it just you know Rapid City is my home and it would be very easy to walk out the door and say hey pick me up let's go have a drink let's Mm -hmm. go have a a meal let's go have a blast as they call them and so um, and then Sioux Falls same thing and so I wanted to get out of the state and so I found a couple of programs um, one in Omaha one in Minneapolis and a program down in New Mexico one of the things that I found out about um, leaving the state is that only certain states will accept out of state persons who want to go to treatment and Arizona and Minnesota were two of those states that when you want to come to their state to go to to a treatment program what you do is they um, have a program set up by which you apply for Medicaid before you get there so that once you get into that state of Minnesota or Arizona that you can Mm. apply through their state aid because now you're on Medicaid in Arizona or uh, Minnesota and that's how you get your treatment paid for so you're wow. literally going into that state as a homeless person oh and so as a homeless oh. person they're really having those social services those programs that, that are going to pick you up and help you out right wow. and so that's how i was able to get into that program down in arizona in phoenix actually yeah and so that's how that happened that's
2: and so the, the facility's name
1: the facility's name is sun uh, excuse me milestone, milestone. i'm sorry oh. thank you Janie. you're yeah. all, you're awesome um, yeah. But yeah, milestone recovery, and uh, I had uh, contacted them. I'd been. It took me two different tries to get onto the plane. So milestone even paid for the airplane in the in the flight, wow. and so I was able to. And I named that flight Iron Bird just because mm-hmm. native theme, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I named it Iron Bird, and so um, I wanted to catch the Iron Bird on a certain date. I missed that date um, because I, you know, I, I say different excuses of why I missed that plane, but I wanted to use some more. I wanted to have another last hoorah, you know. and I thought I could get away with hey, let's have one more party. Hey, let's call my friends. Mm-hmm. Let's do this one more time. And that ended up for a two-week period. Um, luckily, Milestone, Lynn down in Milestone, was very forgiving, very understanding, and put me on the flight two weeks later. And so I was wow. able to catch that second flight, Iron That's Road, good. out to uh, Phoenix. And they picked me up, took me into the program, and by midnight that night I was snug in a bed in, in Phoenix, Arizona. So, That's What do good. you think
0: helped you the most at the treatment facility?
1: You know, I. It, it helped to see others. Um, the program that I got into, luckily, and for my sake, um, had a lot of, well, it was all Native American. There was all Natives within oh. the program. So when I walked into the door, it was all Native men, sober, strong, uh, very, uh, um, um, and when you look at these men and, and when they were addicted, I saw their pictures and I saw their weight and I saw how they were doing. Um, but when you see them in this version, the best version of themselves, for, sober for three to nine months, Wow. I was, it was like walking into like a warrior society or something. It was yeah. walking into a, a group of men that could pick you up and, and stand you up. And, and then, they were
2: obviously accepting.
1: They were way accepting. Open I, arms. Yes, because yep. when I got there, I went through five nights of nightmares, night terrors. I mean, it's it was really horrible that first few nights of trying to go to sleep because one night it took me 11 tries to fall asleep because the instant I would fall asleep, I would go straight into a nightmare. Mm. and these. And I was in a room with four, one, two, three, four other people, and once they had heard me going into these nightmares, these night terrors, these screaming for help, these yelling, these, you know, all of these things that are associated with these nightmares, they would come over and, brother, brother, are you okay? Wake me up. They would say, hey, brother, come on, let's go get a drink of water. Let's, you know, get outside Mm -hmm. for a a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. And my God, that helped, you know. So as far as being... You know, I really miss them. I've been up here for about three weeks now, but I, re- I really miss them, yeah. That's awesome. Friends for
0: life, though, right? Friends
1: for life, most definitely.
2: And so that brings us into the hand. You've got this uh, kind of a, a mobile cast on, on your left hand. Did that have to play with the addiction, the needle usage, or was that just, act, I mean, happenstance?
1: It did, actually. And I've I've been a really safe needle user in and, and all my life, which is ironic and the strangest part of this story, is because I've I've. Been, i've had a fear of needles i've definitely mm-hmm. had a fear of needles when there's an option to take a pill or a liquid version of the medicine i'm that guy you know mm-hmm. versus taking a shot in the arm or a, a shout out back you know what i mean and so out oh, back yeah. <laughs> anyway
0: <laughs> but, yeah
1: mean. yeah yeah and so um it was it was uh it was strange for me to get into the needle use because of that fear but once I started, that addiction is so powerful that feeling that euphoric uh, value of the, the what you're experiencing with that meth high, it just took over. Whereas I no longer needed my girlfriend at the time to inject me, and I started to do it myself. And once I was able to do that... I mean, it's like pushing a bird out of the nest and just, you know, fly and, and you're on your own, which is a very dangerous concept when it comes to addiction and when it comes to somebody very inexperienced with needles altogether. Yeah. So in that process of the 11 months of me basically shooting up myself, you know, I never shared a needle. I never once shared a needle. When I used them, I, I used them once, threw them away, mm-hmm. and I, I destroyed them basically so that no other person would have access to those needles as well because addiction's weird, you know, mm-hmm. if you see a needle and you're wanting to get high and, and you're using that way you'll pick up somebody's needle and use it yep. you know so b- during my my uh, 11 t- 11 months there i never once shared needles and i just want to put that out there but i wasn't always safe I wasn't always safe with my own needle, and that's where it got me. You know, and I was sticking myself in different places, different veins, and sometimes your veins become scarred to the point where they're no longer accessible. They're no longer usable. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of of the other veins were started to not collapse, but they got so small and tiny that they would no longer take the needle. So I started to go into my hands, and that's where I would – inject would be the veins right on top of the the hands here. Mm. And so on one night, and I can remember that night, it was a, um, I was having one of the tribal programs in town pay for my motel rooms through the ERAP program, through these rental assistance programs that were developed over the uh, COVID period and and, and such. Mm -hmm. So I was staying in one of the motels and I just remember um, I used a needle that, I didn't have a new needle. So I used a a needle that I'd used previously um, and me being in a drunken state in a high state, I filled the needle, I got it to where I wanted it to be, but I noticed that there was some red in there. I noticed there was some red in there, and there was some blood that had not been rinsed out or cleaned out or washed out. And so the um, I didn't want to waste the dope that was in the needle. I didn't want to waste the dope that I put in there, you know, mm-hmm. which in, in, in street value, 20 30 $40 mm-hmm. was in the needle. And so I just said, you know, screw it, I'm going to do it. And uh, you know, I regret that now because I felt the pain of it that night, but I was so high, so drunk that it didn't matter. And it wasn't until I got down to Phoenix on December 5th, um, and I think a few days later, I started to know this this bump on my hand and its swelling, and it felt like it was broken on the on the last day before I went in, and it was literally felt like the bone was broken. So I was like, man, you know, I asked my um, um, house manager to take me into the hospital Mm -hmm. and so it was the pain of of a broken bone but it was actually a bacterial infection and it was a deadly flesh-eating bacterial infection that they had found in me Wow! and so they took me into surgery that afternoon I had two surgeries uh, a couple of days later and they had mentioned which was kind of scary because the amputation uh, word had come up the uh, death word had come up and so I was just a few hours away from dying had that um infection got into my bloodstream yeah so they went in opened me up cleaned it up um and and took out the uh infection um most painful experience ever Man. really painful i the,
0: can imagine it's yeah. crazy to
2: think that i mean that this is your story and this kind of stuff happens unfortunately a lot mm-hmm. um locally or doesn't matter and and that kind of infection untreated, I mean, it took you, you were there under care and it almost took you to the end. Mm-hmm. And And if somebody's out on the street and still using, you know, like that could have been it for somebody.
1: It took me sobering up to realize that I was in pain. You know, yeah. I, I was masking it. I was, uh, you know, drinking over it, um, you know, and, and so I didn't realize the pain had already started before I even got to Phoenix and before I even got to treatment, but it mm-hmm. had already started that swelling, that that uncomfortableness. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I had a good, at least few days of detoxing that I realized that, you know, yeah. something's wrong here and something's really wrong here. So,
2: I mean, I guess I've always said is, is something I've learned in my life is, is, everybody's human and everybody makes mistakes. And I think how you really judge a character and how you judge a man is how they react from their mistakes, how they handle it and what they do. Mm -hmm. And you stepping out and talking about this and speaking to, to us on the radio and sharing your story and just the moves that you've made just shows what kind of a character you are uh, as a, as truly King Richard, you know, like that, that right there is is really a, a true move of helping others and showing just who you are.
1: Yes, definitely. I think that we need to share our stories. I think that we're so closed and so, you know, guarded by our professionalism, by our families, by our family name, by who we are in the community, um, that we, we don't feel you know, that we can do that safely. But I think now that I sobered up, I've gone through the detox period and I feel really good about sharing it. You know, I do it on Facebook openly. I do it on TikTok openly. Mm -hmm. But the amount of response and the people that, hey, brother, I'm right behind you. Hey, brother, you inspired me to do this. You know, that even if there's one person that decides to go to treatment, that decides to change their life as a result of these experiences or TikTok experience or sharing on Facebook, Mm -hmm. if one person does that, I'll be a happy man.
0: Just the people that are listening right now that are in the position where you were at Mm -hmm. your worst, you know, maybe they're going to have an awakening today because of you sharing your story. So
1: that would be nice. And I would encourage them to contact me via TikTok, via Facebook, and let's get this ball rolling and get you some help, brothers and sisters. Definitely. Um, So yeah.
0: Thank you so much awesome. for coming in today.
1: Amy, thank you, Brandon. You have the best smile, Brandon. I swear. People come to the South Dakota and the Black Hills area for three reasons. They come for the Sturgis rally, they come for Mount Rushmore, and they come to see Brandon smile. I swear. <laughs> I swear. Do you
0: That's
1: think awesome. they should
0: add him to Mount Rushmore?
1: They should. That should be the fifth face, and they got my it vote, brother. It would be a hairy situation. <laughs> yeah, very yeah, yeah. hairy, hairy. I'm yeah. so <laughs> thankful
0: for you, Richie. Awesome.
1: Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate it. Thank Brandon, you. thank you. Thank you very much as well.
0: Yeah. Bounced from the Roadhouse is hosted by Amy Rose and Brandon Jones, produced by Mark Houston, engineered by Chris Jacques. audio and video mastered by Russ Haddon. If you liked what you heard, please rate it five stars and leave a comment.